I do love that song. Um, keeping the cross before us is a really important thing in the, in the Christian life. Uh, sometimes we kind of get sidetracked, and it's good to be reminded again on a regular basis what Jesus did for us on the cross. Uh, keep me near the cross. That is a good prayer to pray. Speaking of prayers to pray, uh, we're going to look at one of the, uh, I, would, I would say, the greatest prayer in all of the Bible, and that was the, the Lord's Prayer in John chapter number 17. We started looking at this last Wednesday night, and uh, we are, just as a reminder, going through this series, Blueprints of Prayer, looking at the different prayers in the Word of God, uh, learning how to apply these principles from these prayers into our own prayer life, but then also just learning some other important lessons along the way as well. And uh, we're going to be, again, continuing looking at the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. So if you would uh, go ahead and turn over there, uh, John chapter 17. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 5. And uh, we, I do hope to finish this section and move on to the next section next a week, but uh, John 17, verse number one says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And uh, let's pray uh, one more time together. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity tonight on this Wednesday night in the middle of the week uh, to be encouraged, to gather together with other believers, and uh, Lord, to see each other again, to encourage one another again, but uh, also, Lord, to have some time in your word. And uh, I pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts in a special way tonight, that uh, you would help us to apply these truths and implement these truths um, into our lives as we go from this place. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Uh, last week, we started by asking the question, how would you have liked to have been a fly on the wall there as Jesus prayed this very special prayer? Well, uh, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, had the special privilege, special opportunity to be there as Jesus prayed this very special lengthy prayer, uh, verses 1 through 26, this entire chapter is his high priestly pray, prayer that he prayed right before he went to the cross. And uh, last week we, we talked about uh, this prayer shows us the priority of prayer. And remember we said, hey, if Jesus uh, felt the need to pray, and uh, we looked at several, we went around the room and several of the men read instances when Jesus prayed during his earthly life. And we said this, hey, if it was such a priority to him, how much more should prayer be a priority to us who need him that much more? And then we talked about the passion of prayer. Uh, 
what Jesus was concerned about. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more tonight. And then we talked about the prerequisite of prayer. Uh, this prayer was definitely, as Jesus was praying, he was definitely convinced, uh, assured, and trusted the fact that God would hear and answer his prayer. And uh, there was absolute confidence and there was absolute faith in the Lord as he prayed. And the encouragement for us is when we pray, let's have faith. And uh, the Lord uh, says several times, when ye pray, pray with faith. Uh, nothing wavering, uh, in James it says. Uh, don't be like the waves of the sea tossed about. And uh, let's, let's be convinced that God will answer our prayer. So he wants us to pray with faith. That's what we talked about last week. Now we're going to dive in a little bit more into the actual verbiage here of verses 1 through 5. Now, as we study the greatest prayer ever uttered, there are several lessons that we can learn, some that we can apply, like I said, to our own prayer life and other lessons that we can learn that help us uh, learn some uh, elements about Jesus, uh, about the Christian life, and uh, we're going to learn some of those lessons tonight. So four brief lessons we can learn from the first five verses of this passage is what we're going to be diving in. Before we get there, I just want to make a comment in verse number one, if you want to look there, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Now, many times, if you remember earlier on in his earthly ministry, especially even in Mark as we're going through that, we, he, said, he said several different times, uh, My hour is not yet come. You remember him saying that? In other words, it, it's not time for me to go to the cross. It's not time for me to become the sacrifice for sin. And uh, he was saying, hey, look, I'm not ready to go. But now in John 17, in verse number one, he says, Father, the hour's come. The time has come. And uh, this is huge. Because you think about this, since, if, if you go all the way back in your mind and do uh, you know, put, put your mind in reverse, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, as Eve was deceived, and then she gave that fruit to Adam, and he did eat. And then the Lord comes and, and, uh, and, and says, Adam, where art, wherefore art, where art thou? Um, and, uh, and he was hiding, remember that? And then the Lord begins to say to him, hey, uh, there's going to be a Redeemer, there's going to be the seed of the woman who's going to come and bruise the head of, of the serpent. That, that, since that moment, uh, time had been looking forward to the, and people had been looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come and would uh, be that sacrifice for sin. And so for thousands of years, people had been waiting for that hour to come. And, uh, and now Jesus is literally just a few hours away from being on that cross and uh, becoming that sacrifice. And, uh, and then after that, everybody since has looked back to that one hour. And so it was all leading up to this. And now can you feel the weight? None of us can really, really understand. I was trying to think of a moment in my life where it was like, boom, the hour has come. And uh, I... I a time when I was looking forward to, a time that uh, the, the, the only time I can think of that really has had a lot of weight to it was my wedding day. And I remember 
obviously, you know, being excited, asking, asking my wife to marry her, and, uh, and just all the different steps leading to the, the day when we would be married. And, and finally, it was the week before we were married. And I remember we got married on a Saturday morning at, 10, at 11 o'clock, which is kind of an early wedding looking back on it now. Um, who, who gets married that early? Well, we did because <laughs> I wanted to get started with my honeymoon. <laughs> Priorities, my friend. Anyway, so uh, I just didn't, yeah. Uh, I just don't want to be hanging around with a bunch of people when, uh, hey, we, we're, we're ready, we're ready, you know, let's, let's, let's enjoy our marriage. And so um, I remember, though, on the Wednesday night before that Saturday, um, our pastor was out of town, and uh, I hadn't yet gone up to uh, Northern California where the wedding was, and he asked me to preach that night. And I'm like, preach like three days before my wedding? I, I just... <laughs> And at that time, you know, preaching, I didn't do a lot of it. So I was, you know, that, that brought a lot of nerves. And then on top of it, I had all just the emotions going into the, that wedding. And so, yeah, I preached that night. And then uh, the next morning, early on, I went to the airport and flew up to Sacramento. And, and, uh, and then I remember, you know, the, the rehearsal and then the rehearsal dinner afterwards. And, and, then, and then it was the, the morning of the wedding. I get up early and I... I get all dressed in my tuxedo, and, and uh, I, I go, I walk and pray a lot of times in the morning, and, and I did that morning, and people probably looking out their window like, why is there a guy in a tuxedo walking around our neighborhood? That's super weird. Um, yeah, California, people probably didn't think much of it. Yeah, exactly. People are like, ah, everyday occurrence. <laughs> no, strange things happen there, and, and anyway, um, so... But then I remember getting to the church and getting there early, and um, and then and then finally it was, I mean we were supposed to get married. Our wedding was supposed to start at eleven o'clock, so about ten forty-five, I go into the groom's room, which was kind of it would be equivalent to over there, and and uh, I'm there with my best man and our pastor who was doing the service, and I'm in there and I kind of started to get a little pale. I mean, I'm pale to begin with, okay? <laughs> but you can imagine, I mean, I was pasty pale. Um, and, uh, and, my, and my pastor and my friend looked at me, and they're like, are, are you okay, Eric? And, and I'm just kind of, it just is hitting me. Like, I'm about to commit the rest of my life to this individual. And, uh, and, I, and I was committed. I, I mean, I was for sure that this was the right person, but it just was hitting me, this, this heaviness of the, the weight of the moment uh, that I was about to encounter. And I also didn't want to faint as well in front of everybody. That would have been super embarrassing. So I was kind of worried about that as well. Because they keep saying, you know, don't lock your knees. And I'm like, I, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> so uh, I just don't want to faint and embarrass myself. So that was part of it too. But, um, but I, I felt a lot of weight in that moment about ready to go and... Uh, commit the rest of my life to Julie. And, uh, and I, I, I know that in an infinitely greater way, this is how the Lord is feeling as he's about ready to go to the cross. And when he says, Father, the hour has come, I mean, don't, don't just skip over that. That's it. In other words, for him, this is what it's all led to. This is why he was born in Bethlehem 
of a, of a virgin. This is why he lived a perfect and sinless life, to become our sacrifice. And so that hour had come. It was now time. And uh, he knew it had all come to this moment in history. And, and what, a, what a wonderful moment. Again, all of history before that looked forward to that moment. And uh, all of history since that time looks back to that moment as the single most important moment in history. The, the moment, and you can kind of put the moment that Jesus died on the cross and then he was buried and then the third day he rose again. That, that, whole, that, that, that whole moment in history, super important. The uh, pinnacle, um, that's the center moment of history. And so he says, Father, the hour has come. And then he says, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. And that leads me to the first real lesson that we're going to learn tonight. And that is, number one, we learn about the principle of glory. And uh, we alluded to this last Wednesday night as we talked about his passion in prayer. And his passion was that God would get glory from his life. And uh, even if it included him dying and becoming our sin. If it meant God getting glory, he was all for it. In these first five verses, we see the word glory or the word glorify or a version of that five different times. We see it twice in verse number one where he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. Um, he d it's not mentioned in verse two or three, but it is mentioned in verse number four. I have glorified thee on the earth. And finish the work which thou gavest me to do. And then it's also mentioned twice in verse number five. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So what does glory mean? Uh, somebody in one of the commentaries that I was studying said, the word glory is a lot like the word beautiful. It's, it's really hard to like, describe and define. Um, there's displays of beauty and there's displays of glory. Uh, as you go through the Bible, um, there's a lot of instances where we see the glory of God. Remember, remember the temple? Uh, you couldn't go into the innards of the temple because the glory of God had, uh, had, had fallen in. Uh, remember at the, uh, uh, well, the Bible says John did in John chapter 1 and verse number 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So he was, there was glory there, and then, and then when we go to the uh, transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, there was the display of God's glory there with this, uh, the bright and shiny light, and then also the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, uh, he fell down out of that the glory of God was there. Um, it says in verse number uh, three of chapter nine, Acts chapter nine, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And uh, that was the glory of God there. Um, and uh, on and on we can go, a lot of different other examples where the glory of God is, is displayed. Uh, but, but Webster's 1828 dictionary definition for glory uh, can be described as brightness, luster, splendor, okay? It can also be described as magnificence, 
And then what I think it probably most refers to, what Jesus is referring, referring here to, is praise ascribed in adoration or honor. So I want God to get all the praise. I want God to get adoration. I want God to get honor, is what Jesus was praying. And he said, I want you to glorify me. In other words, I want you to uh, see me through the death, the burial, and then the resurrection so that I can bring you honor, so that I can bring you uh, adoration and praise, which you rightly deserve. Uh, A.T. Robertson, who was a commentator, said this. Um, he pointed out that Jesus didn't simply pray for strength to go through the agonies of the cross in this moment. I mean, he was about to face the cross, and uh, there has been no suffering in history like the cross. And yet, as he faces that, he doesn't pray for strength for the cross. Instead, he prayed that his death, his resurrection, and return to heaven would give glory to his heavenly Father. Uh, pretty amazing. That instead of saying, Lord, I'm about to go face this, please help me, please help me, please help me, because I'm going to be suffering and it's going to be really hard on me, please help me. Instead, he was all about praying that God would get glory. Uh, Bach, the great composer of yesteryear, said this about music. All music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where this is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. That's a pretty powerful quote from a, a very famous composer. Uh, but he understood that God's glory is of utmost importance. You see, our lives are also to be all for his glory. Remember, it was 1 Corinthians, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, in verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You say, well, I have to go to work tomorrow morning, and yeah, we're supposed to work to the glory of God. Uh, when we go home tonight and eat a bowl of cereal after church, does anybody else do that? Thank you. Okay. Did you raise your hand too? Okay. You, okay. She raised his hand, <laughs> her hand for him. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only Wednesday night cereal eater. Thank you. Okay. Before church. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm a, I'm a post-church eater. So, okay. Um, so whether we eat, or whether we drink, whatsoever we do, we play tennis and up in Edmond. Do all to the glory of God. Brother Tom, 80, how old are you? 82. 82 years old, still playing tennis with the best of them. Um, and do all to the glory of God. Uh, we go at this camp out on Friday night. We, that, that can be for God's glory. Whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Now, Jesus lived in such a way that everything he did brought glory to the Father. And now he prays that God the Father would gl get glory from his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And so he's emphasizing this idea of God getting glory. And uh, that's obviously should be an emphasis in our life as well. 
that God would get the glory from my life. That it's not about me getting glory and me getting accolades and people noticing me. I remember it was John the Baptist who said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He needs to get glory, not me. We're to magnify the Lord, not magnify ourselves. And uh, uh, the encouragement for us uh, in this prayer is that our focus and our heartbeat would be, God, I want you to get glory in my life. Remember last week we talked about, even if that means going through trials. If that means going through difficult things. And of course, Jesus went through the most difficult thing of all, also that God would get glory. And of course, so that you and I can get salvation as well. So we learn about the principle of glory. Secondly, we, learn, we also learn about the power of Christ. Notice verse number two. Here Jesus says this as he's praying, Ask thou hast given him, now he's talking about him, but he's referring to himself, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, as Jesus, after his resurrection, says this to the disciples before giving them the Great Commission. He says, uh, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And it's not just power and strength and might, though that is part of it. It's also his authority as well. So he has all power. Now, we've obviously been learning about his great and mighty power as we walk through the gospel of Mark and we see his miracle working abilities to be able to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day we talked about on Sunday. Remember the ability to cast out uh, demons and he has power over all sickness. We've been learning all this. Remember how he healed the man brought in sick with palsy and uh, how he healed them there and, and uh, to prove that he has the ability not just to heal physically but to forgive spiritually, which is the greatest miracle of them all, the greatest power that he has. See, notice what he prayed here in verse number two. He says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He did not say, as though thou hast given him power over flesh, that he should do all these really neat tricks and miracles. That wasn't really the purpose for his power. See, the purpose of his power was that, verse, like two, verse 2 says, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. See, the greatest miracle of all was when he saved me. Um, in my life, the greatest miracle he ever did was that when he saved me. Not that he, you know, one day when I was, you know, working and, uh, you know, I got, I had a really good sales day. That's, that's not the greatest miracle that took place in my life. The greatest miracle that took place in my life was when I was 12 years old and I came to him for salvation. And then he saved me when I did come to him. See, the greatest miracle of all was when he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, the psalmist said, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and he put a new song in my mouth. I think, Mrs. Stino, that's your, one of your favorite verses. Um, and that, that's the greatest miracle that takes place in our life, is the moment of our salvation. And of course, our salvation should propel us then to a life of gratitude and thanksgiving for what he has done for us. If, we, if, if we're not thankful, uh, then 
our, our mind and our heart is, is, is not where it should be because we're not focused on God's power in, in what, how he displayed that power in our life to get us to a place of salvation and all that he did to provide salvation. Psalm 23, I'm sorry, Psalm 27, verse number one, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Really, the Christian life should not be a life of fear whatsoever. Now, obviously, we are to fear the Lord. But when we understand that the Lord has taken care of my greatest need, which was salvation, then I really have no reason to fear anything else. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? I have no reason to fear anyone. Or anything because, hey, he's taking care of my greatest need. He has performed the greatest miracle in my life. He's given me salvation. And so we learn about Christ's power, the power of Christ. But then thirdly, uh, we learn also about the plan of salvation in verse number three. Well, verse two says that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And then verse three, he explains it. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So how can we obtain salvation? Well, Jesus reveals it here in verse number three. And of course, we know it from other scriptures. But uh, we, we, we find it listed here again, that it's not about doing, it's about knowing. It's not about doing, it's about knowing. Uh, knowing God and Jesus Christ in verse number three, this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Um, it's not about, but, but it's not just knowing about though. Um, it's not just knowing about the Lord. Lots of people know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about the Lord. They've heard all the stories. They've all heard all, they, they know a lot. But knowing about is a lot different than knowing. Before Julie and I started dating, um, sorry, I'm kind of using Ju our relationship a lot today. Uh, maybe because her birthday was this week. And anyway, I'm thankful for our relationship. Before Julie and I started dating, though, others in the college were trying to play matchmaker. And uh, we were in we were in college, but. You wouldn't know it was in college. You would have totally thought it was a junior high, okay? By the way, some of the college students were acting, and uh, even some of the professors too, right? <laughs> um, anyway, one day during lunch, uh, and, and Julie told me this afterwards later on, but one day during lunch, a group of guys who I was friends with went over to Julie when she was eating lunch and started asking her questions about what she likes and what she does and what she likes to do and all those types of questions that you would ask on like maybe a first date. And uh, every time she would give an answer, they said, well, Eric Johnson likes that too. <laughs> well, Eric Johnson does that too. And it was just, it was so juvenile and immature. And um, I did not have anything to do with it. I honestly, pro I promise, hand is on the Bible. Hand is on the Bible. I promise. Okay. 
I promise I had zero to, nothing, zero to do with it. I promise. Okay. So she started to learn a little bit about me through these uh, jerks. I mean, friends that I had. Um, there's a, so yeah, stupid jerks. There we go. <laughs> um, but so she started to learn about me, but she still didn't know me, right? We hadn't really ever really talked together. We hadn't really met. We really hadn't started our relationship yet. But then a few, maybe a couple, three weeks later, on October 25th, 1998, on Pumpkin Pie Sunday, I finally asked her if she would be willing to have dinner with me after church, the college potluck stew dinner that no one really ever ate. They went there and saw and then went to Taco Bell afterwards. Um, uh, I asked her if she was going to do that, if she was going to go over there, and I said, well, would you like to have dinner with me and go over some things? How romantic. <laughs> what a line. But uh, here we are, almost 21 years later, married. It worked. Um, but uh, we had our first date, and it was then we really started to get to know each other. And after that time, after that after that conversation, then if you were to ask me, you know, hey, do you, do you know who, do you know Julie? said, yeah, I, I know Julie. Now, I, obviously, we're learning more about each other as time goes on, just like in our relationship with the Lord. We're learning more about him as time goes on. We haven't arrived, right? We're going to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as time goes on. But that was the time where our relationship really began. So maybe, and there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe you've been taught a lot about God, but you've never really met the Lord. You've never really started a relationship with him. And uh, I want to encourage you, like what Jesus says here, this is life internal that they might not just know about thee, the only true God, which, by the way, was uh, in as opposed to other idols, false idols, um, but might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ. You might, you might know a lot about him, but do you know him? And if you don't know him, tonight would be a great night to have that meeting, that time where you come to know him as your Savior. Because if you don't, and uh, you go to heaven, or I'm sorry, you don't go to heaven, but at that last day, you say, well, I've done so many wonderful things in your name, Lord. I've been to church, and I knew all, your, I knew all about you. He says, yeah, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Um, so it's not just knowing about, it's knowing. And uh, so we learn about the plan of salvation in this. And then uh, number, number four, last lesson here that we're going to highlight, and that is we learn about the performance of Christ. And uh, verse number four, we, we really see this here. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. And then he says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. As Jesus prays this, he was actually speaking as if he had already died on the cross and been buried and risen from the dead. And uh, for the Lord, who is not bound by time like you and I are, he was speaking very prophetically. And it was as good as if it was done because it did indeed happen that uh, he did go to the cross and he did... He was buried, and then he was risen from the grave. So Jesus, Jesus finished 
his work. There's nothing quite like finishing a job that was difficult. Um, a lot of times we get into difficult jobs and we're like, eh, this ain't worth it. Let's quit. Uh, but, but the Lord didn't quit. I was thinking back to a difficult project that, for me, just felt really good to finish, to get to the finish line and say, done. Glad I'm done. Um, the, the one that kept coming to my mind was when we were back living in Montana, and uh, I was doing all kinds of whatever I needed to to make ends meet at that point. So I was taking on all kinds of different jobs and odd jobs, weird side gigs and all kinds of things that I was doing. One of the things that um, I was doing was uh, mainly graphic design, web design, but then I had done some video editing in the past. And then uh, a girl that we, that we had in our youth group uh, was not living in California. They were living in Oregon at the time. You think California's weird, Oregon. That's a whole different caliber of weird. But uh, <coughs> she, was, she was living up there, and, and she wasn't weird. She, she's a, she's a good, good girl. And uh, she contacted me, and she said, hey, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at someone to edit a video. I know you've done some video editing in the past, wondering if you'd be willing to take on a, a new project. And I said, well, absolutely. I mean, whatever. I'm willing to do whatever. And so it ended up being this monumental uh, video. It was, I thought, I thought we're talking maybe a 15-minute video. It ended up being... Uh, an hour and 15 minute video, um, which is, you know, almost a full length feature film. And I'm like, man, uh, this is going to be fun. And she sent me all the footage and it's just hours and hours of footage that I had to go through. And, uh, oh man, it was, it took forever. As they say in the video editing world, it usually takes one hour for every minute of finished video. So you got 75 minutes of video, 75 hours. That's probably not even close to what it was. It was probably more like maybe 150 hours uh, that I put into that thing. It was. It took a long time, maybe even more than that. Um, I didn't really keep track. I just did it. I just said, hey, this is how much I'm going to charge. Um, and then it. I probably, she got a pretty good deal probably. Uh, but I just can't, I, I just, I remember, you know, when it was, when she said, great, got it, and it was, it was done. I was like, praise the Lord, I'm done with that video. It took like two or two months, maybe three months to do that video, and uh, I just could not wait to get done with it. It was so great to finally say, I am done. Now, Jesus, as he gets to this point in his life, if you remember, there were several times when uh, he earlier on in the public ministry that he had mentioned that he was going to finish the work that his father sent him to do. Uh, John 4, 34 is one reference. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5 and verse 36 is another reference. I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So he said, I'm here to finish the work which God's calling me to do. Now here in John 17, he's looking back and saying, I'm finished. I'm done. And uh, he knows that he's about to go on the cross. And in John 19 and verse number 30, uh, Jesus therefore had received the vinegar. He's there on the cross. He said, it is, anybody know? Finished. Or the Greek word, 
Tetelestai, which is a victory cry, saying it's done, the victory's been won, a sin has been defeated, um, the price has been paid. So finally, Jesus had come to the end of the work, and um, he finished it. Now here's the point of me mentioning his performance and the fact that he finished his work. Jesus finished his work, but God has given us work to accomplish as well. God has a purpose for my life as well as for yours. He has a mission for you to accomplish, a good work for you to do, a perfect will of God for you. Will you finish that work? Jesus did. Will you? He finished the work which God gave him to do. God's given all of us a work to do. As I mentioned on Sunday night, if you were here, we talked about the perfect will of God for each and every one of us, the unique will of God. One thing that I, you know, as a preacher, you kind of go home and you go, man, I should have said that. I should have done, you know, you kind of second guess everything you say. Um, and uh, I did that. And I was like, man, I really should have said, you know, in, the, in order to, so I get to kind of retract and add a little something to my message from Sunday night. But we talked about God's unique will and unique plan for each and every one of us. The way to find that out is to make sure that we're doing the universal will of God. The things that we know very clearly in Scripture that God wants us to be doing. Getting saved, living a life of gratitude, living in purity, uh, submitting to authority, uh, and other things that we could talk about. When, we, when we're doing those things faithfully, God will guide and direct and lead us. And, and then before we know it, we're living God's unique will for each and every one of us. And uh, so that's what I wanted to add to my message on, um, on Sunday night. And that has to do with this as well, because God has a unique plan for each one of us. How are we going to finish that? Well, we make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we know, that are very clear in Scripture that we should be doing. And uh, we just keep doing that. And uh, as God leads and guides like he does in each of our lives, we just follow him out of obedience and submission and before we know it, we have, we'll come to the end of our life and say, I've finished, I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And uh, I want all of us to be able to say that as we come to the end of our life. Um, what a great thing to be able to look back and say, you know, it wasn't always easy, but I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Um, all right. So some lessons that we can learn from this prayer. Uh, we learn first about the principle of glory. If the Lord Jesus was focused on bringing glory to God, so should you and I. Let's bring glory to God with our life. That should be the focus of our hearts and lives. Uh, we also learn about the power of Christ. While he is still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, the greatest miracle he does in a life is the salvation of a soul. Let's be thankful for his mighty power that he showed you. And uh, then let's trust him with the lesser things of this life. You know, if he can handle saving me from my wicked sin, he can handle the financial issue that perhaps uh, I might be going through or um, a health crisis that might come into my life or a relationship situation that might be difficult. God can handle all of it because he handled the most important thing, something far greater, and that was the salvation of my soul. And then we also learned about the plan of salvation. It's about knowing, not about doing. So do you know him? 
Not do you know about him, do you know him? And then we learn about the performance of Christ. He finished his work. So what is the work that God has called all of us to do? Well, will we do it and will we finish it? I hope the answer is yes. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study this uh, very, very powerful and deep uh, passage of Scripture. Um, Lord, to be able to study the prayer that Jesus had with you there prior to the cross. It's really a pretty interesting and fascinating subject. Uh, Lord, help us to take these lessons and, and these truths and put them into our hearts and lives into action. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, let's take a moment for some prayer requests.